Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Please note, this podcast contains themes of labor abuses and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Leah Walsh, and this is Rosette, the podcast. Hey folks, it's Leah here and welcome. Today we're talking about ensuring good working conditions, which is the seventh principle. And I'm going to cover a little bit of the stuff that we had talked about in the episode with Eli, where we were talking about, uh, you know, no forced labor and so on. Um, But we're going to expand a little bit more on that and get a little bit deeper into it. Ensuring good working conditions. The gist of it is basically that workers need to have a safe working environment that complies with health and safety standards of like local slash federal laws and or the ILO. And so there's sort of like a minimum that you want to make sure is observed so that like it's in compliance. The other part of it is, well, there's actually a couple of parts of it. You can't make people work longer than is reasonable. So when you look at the ILO and you say, okay, like what what is allowed and does this comply with that? And then health and safety is something that you sort of continue working to improve and raise awareness about in the workplace. It's the same here. Like we, we think it's fine to have asbestos at some point and then we're like, oh, wait, that's a bad idea. So like we're always learning things regardless of where that is. So it needs to be sort of an ongoing thing thing. And in the fair principle, it actually talks about continuing to improve that as we go. It doesn't say perfect working conditions. It says good working conditions. So just making sure that people are reasonably safe and that if there's something that's unreasonably unsafe, that those things are being looked at and that we're making sure that the the workplace is a good place to be working. The reason this principle exists is so... (laughs) As we mentioned in the no forced labor or child labor episode, there are really bad working conditions that pop up all over the place if nobody's checking up on this. So beyond like forced labor or like hiring people too young to be doing a certain job, it's actually really common to make workers work for extremely long hours and with quotas. So the garment industry is famous for this. You don't go home until you've completed a certain amount of work, period. And you're definitely not paid for overtime. So if you don't finish your quota, then you just don't go home and you work incredibly long hours. This is part of why you have people rushing and or like super exhausted on the job. And that's when injuries happen. You're going to hurt yourself if you're rushing stuff or you're working with like really sharp shears. You're working with sometimes machinery that can really do a lot of damage to you if there's a slip or if you're not focused or whatever. So it's really important to not be having people work so long that they're practically falling asleep on the job. Factory workers also deal with like the managers are often expected to cut corners. So if you're working for a big brand, the brand might say to the factory manager, you have to cut corners because you have to keep the cost down. So they may not provide staff with like proper protective equipment, for example. So as Eli was saying the other day, you know, you might get chemical burns from contact with some kind of like harmful chemical that's on the fabric, or you may have to actually apply it on the fabric. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily have gloves or anything to protect you. So you might get a chemical burn, or you might even 
just like get ill effects from the chemicals that you're exposed to. And if you're part of the initial processing of the cotton into thread and then into fabric, if we're, you know, we're, I'm talking a lot about garments, but I think it's really important because that is one of the industries that is so aggressively marketed to us. You know, fast fashion is, you know, we're meant to turn over our whole wardrobe every six months or so. So it's, I think it's an important industry to talk about. So if you're part of the initial processing of the cotton into like thread and then fabric, you can get really severe breathing problems if you don't have a good quality mask because the little tiny particles of cotton become airborne and they can get into your lungs and they do a lot of damage there. So you actually hear about a lot of workers having breathing problems after working in cotton mills just because the the little particles are so airborne. They're they're all over the place and it's so easy to breathe them in and you have to have a really specific kind of mask to make sure that you're properly protected. So if you're cutting corners everywhere, you may not have the proper mask. You may not have the proper protective equipment and you have people who are then getting these terrible lung conditions. If we want to move more towards agriculture, which I think is important to do too, because a lot of fair trade products tend to be food products. And of course, food is is largely born from agriculture. Part of the poor working condition thing is what workers are exposed to chemical wise. So like bananas, at least commercially grown bananas, are actually really fragile plants because they're all genetically identical. And that means that if one gets sick, they all get sick. So disease just spreads really fast. There have historically been some very nasty chemicals used on bananas. And there was even one in the 1930s that literally turned workers blue. Like, I'm not kidding. Their skin turned blue and they had like uncontrollable nausea. They lost their sense of smell. You know, that has thankfully been banned now. But just to like impress on you some of the things we've done to banana workers in the past, it's no surprise like that limiting chemicals is going to be part of the safe working conditions idea. So that's also something that falls under this principle. If we go to the cocoa industry again, because I love talking about cocoa because chocolate's awesome. (laughs) Um, We've talked about how there's forced labor and like child labor in particular, but the conditions are also terrible oftentimes. So it's not just forced labor, but these kids are also like they get cut on machetes all the time. They're often threatened with violence or like actually physically assaulted if they don't do what they're told. Small children might be asked to carry around sacks of cocoa that weigh almost as much as they do. And if they drop them, they might be punished. Or if they don't move fast enough, they might be punished. And by punished, I do mean like like corporal punishment usually. So this is just a few of the examples, but they really go on and on. And so fair trade products will require that workplaces are reasonably safe in all of these different ways and more, <laughs> but just making sure that that there's no abuses of the workers and that the workers are working in an environment where they're not going to get an injury or some kind of health condition just by working there in ways that are like reasonable to predict that we could have prevented. And that's also part of why it's an ongoing thing. Because as I say, like some years ago, we were like, oh, yeah, let's put asbestos in in grade schools. And now we're like, oh, God, get that out of my child's school. So we do we do learn things and and have to change sort of safety and health standards over time. So this is really an ongoing principle that needs to be revised on a regular basis. So some examples of this principle in action in the fair trade community When you have fair trade farmers that are working in the fields, they have to have protective gear oftentimes. So if there's, you know, any kind of chemicals being sprayed or whatever, they're going to need to provide things like gloves, things like perhaps a a breathing apparatus, like a mask or a vent ventilator. I'm not sure if it's called a ventilator, but you know, those ones that have sort of like the like the filter on it so they're not breathing in things like that. 
those types of things are just a given if they're going to be spraying anything that's going to be harmful. So above and beyond that, there's also sort of a red light, yellow light, green light system on chemicals. So things like pesticides and herbicides. What that means is that if you have like a red light chemical, it's a total no-no. They're just not allowed to use it at all. And those are things that are really harmful to like people and planet. There's a yellow light category where it's like, okay, if you have to use this, like say your crop's going to fail, if you don't, then okay, fine, use it, but use it in moderation. So it's like something that is fine in small amounts or whatever, and isn't going to like cause a ton of harm. And then green light is like organic stuff that doesn't cause any kind of harm that we know of to people and planets. So the best example of that one I can give is that like sometimes even us like in our garden, we have little bugs eating our plants and stuff. So we'll put like cayenne pepper or something. And then like some of the bugs are like, oh, I don't like that. So so it's just things like that that are just completely natural and like not going to hurt anything. Um, And those, of course, are permitted no matter what, like just just use them. That's fine. You know, they're not going to cause any harm. If there's any kind of chance of injury from whatever they're applying to the to the plants, they're going to need to have some kind of protective equipment. Any kind of dangerous practices that might be common to the industry, what you need in, in fair trade, you have alternatives that might be put in place. So for example, instead of sending, you know, a kid up a tree with a machete to cut down cocoa pods, which is the example I keep giving, but I give it for a reason, which is that it's horrifying. You don't have to send someone up a tree. Like you can get, there's a, this apparatus that has like a long rod and it has like a cutting blade on the end. If you've got someone standing on the ground using this tool, instead of like climbing up a tree, you're going to drastically reduce like falling and cutting injuries from if you're setting someone up a tree with a knife. And so that's one example of how with fair trade, it makes sense to be putting these in place instead of sort of what was traditionally done, because, you know, maybe it didn't occur to people that that was a safer way to do it, or they couldn't afford the equipment before or what have you. But with fair trade, you need to be able to afford equipment for safety. So that would be built into things like um, the purchase price. And so working hours... Um, we have to remember that working hours are part of like what makes a good and safe workplace as well. So that people, A, are not so exhausted that they're like having a lot more accidents and hurting themselves and so on. But also just because it is not right to make people work like 20 hours a day. So if there's going to be overtime, it needs to be paid or all the work that they're that they're doing has to be paid. So you might have something like in the case of like a farmer, for example, you might be paying like for the units of the produce that they're producing, but making sure that they are being paid for all of that. And then also making sure that like if you're in a factory or whatever, in sort of an hourly rate that you're not working, as I say, absurd hours, but also that the hours that you're working are being paid. And then it's not this sort of quota nonsense where you have to do X number of things. And if it takes you 20 hours in a day to do that, then you work 20 hours in a day. And it doesn't change how much you get paid. That can't happen under fair trade. That's just not allowed. (laughs) Unions are all over the place in fair trade. So if something's causing injury or health problems, workers can report it to their employer. And the union can advocate for changes to be made. And this is a really good example of how this is sort of an ongoing principle. You have to, you know, take new information into account and incorporate that into the process as well. And because this is part of an ongoing thing, the fair trade brands and organizations and so on that are working with producers are really encouraged to support producers throughout the length of their relationship. So it might be something like mentoring on sort of an education piece, or it might be something like if there's a producer that really they know they need a thing for safety, but they can't afford to do it, then like buyers helping out with that, possibly like 
giving an interest-free loan or something like that so that they can implement that into their workplace or whatever it might be, they can help out with that. Um, Or as I say, education piece or something. I actually had a colleague who told me a story about talking with a group of workers about water. And they said, well, the water's clean because they would look at it and it would look clear and it would look clean. But he would say to them like, so the thing is, there are little microorganisms in it and they can still make you sick. If you've got folks who have resources like the sort of like a background in science or like you can give like um, a grant or a micro grant to like someone to come in and like educate people about like sanitation in ways that are accessible to people who maybe don't have a background in science, then that can be really helpful too as like a basic sort of health and safety. I remember speaking with a producer in Peru who said there was like a strange um, disconnect between sort of like the health and safety of the cooperative and the um, cleanliness of homes. Um, So, you know, he he sort of like started this program where he would like educate people on like, okay, so like keep your home clean because if your home is clean, you won't get sick. And it was just like, it's something that might seem really simple to us, but it's just something that doesn't occur to some people. And so having those things in place or like being able to provide resources for that if they can't get someone to come in and teach it or if they can't like afford to get the safety measure put in place or what have you, those are really great opportunities to support these these producers in that process. And in all of this, it's important to remember the principle is good working conditions, not perfect working conditions. It's a work in progress. And there's lots of places in North America where the working conditions need work. There's a whole podcast series by Jake Hanrahan called Megacorp, and it goes over just so many horrifying things that he learned about Amazon warehouses. And it's only Amazon. It's like, I think it's like a nine or 10 part series. So just like as an FYI, there's definitely stuff that is really terrible and that is not um, the kind of thing that you really want to imagine our our workforce dealing with in the process of just like doing their job and trying to earn a living. All of this to say that the idea is to try to do better and to do your best and to make sure that it's an ongoing conversation about how does this become better and better. And uh, over time, it, it tends to just sort of steadily improve. And that's, that's sort of the goal. So I think that's about what I had for this principle. I'm, as I say, not trying to harp on and on. I'm trying to keep the episodes fairly short and sweet, especially the ones where I'm just nattering on and I don't have a guest or anything. But I do have a really nice treat coming up for tomorrow, I believe, this episode. Just to, you know, break the monotony, I've got a really a really exciting um, guest that I'm going to have on. So that's really cool. And there's going to be lots and lots of interviews coming up. I've got a really full (laughs) schedule over the next few days recording interviews. So that's both exciting and a little bit daunting, but you've all been really supportive and I really appreciate that. So thank you for everyone who's been going on Apple Podcasts and subscribing and leaving a review and leaving a five-star rating and all of that stuff. It's it's really great. Um, I would love it if you could also do that if you have not already. Um, Apparently, the more of that stuff that happens, the more visibility my podcast gets. So I really appreciate that because I'm, as I say, I'm just like a one woman show over here. And uh, it's kind of hard to compete with people who have like entire like recording studios behind them and like uh, production studios and stuff. So it's a little bit daunting, but a little, every little bit helps. So if you could go and subscribe and, and rate and review and all of that stuff, I would absolutely love it and appreciate it so much. So thanks a lot for that. And thank you for joining me today. And I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. So I'll see you then. Bye-bye for now.